0: So, Joel, early in, I think, our very first uh, podcast uh, that you and I ever did together, I kind of called you out for being able to uh, sit through horrible, depressing Iowa losses and watching them over and over. Um, If you read my column this week, Tuesdays with Torby on uh, the uh, Hawkeye Report at ON3, um, (laughs) I admitted that. I, I didn't even make it to the second half like uh, I I saw enough at halftime and I legitimately walked away and I still haven't watched
1: that second half and I, I don't actually feel too bad about that. Uh, I walked away as well. I, I, I did not watch the second half live. I did punish myself and go back and watch and finish just because I knew that I have an, a certain standard of integrity to hold up to for this podcast. And uh, yeah, thank God I don't. <laughs> so I had to I had to do it, but it did spark me to write again. I, I, I haven't written in three or four years but i i wrote again i'll never publish it because it was like the diatribe of a scorned lover but it was still i i i had to get something out on paper or i was going to go mad and uh i'm usually pretty optimistic usually pretty happy uh thank goodness our guest a little bit later has got some humor and got some celebrity because man i i was i was in a dark place saturday and sunday so, you
0: know, it's interesting you say that because um, I actually had a fantastic weekend. You know, I uh, golfed with some friends and, uh, you know, hung out, got to see my son and his girlfriend, go out on a boat. So, um, you know, kind of applying that whole perspective thing as as I talked about. Um, but. The fan base is so mad, and you can't really blame them, though, can you? I mean, like, I I will say this. I try to, as I get older, apply more perspective and not let the game get me that emotionally upset where it's going to affect my mood. But um, I used to be that way, and I still understand why people are. And I think this is a time when... And that's the weird thing is we saw it coming that they they probably wouldn't beat Penn State, but what was it about that game? Do you think
1: that that just lit a match? Well, I think so. What I titled what I wrote was "I love you, you're perfect." Now change, which is of course the title of an off-Broadway musical by Joe DiPietro and Jimmy Roberts, but it's one of those things where my my affection and my belief that Kirk Ferentz is a brilliant football coach has not wavered. I still believe that we have 25 years of sample size to see that he is right far more than he is wrong. But I fear this. So my my history is the courtship. I was a junior when Kirk Ferentz was hired. Uh, delusionally, I thought maybe someday I'd get that preferred walk-on letter from uh. from Coach Ferentz. That obviously never came, but we gave him a commitment as a fan base. You know, after the 2003 season, when we saw we went to the Orange Bowl in 2002, we won another 10 games in 2003. I think he's like 31 and seven in his for in three of his first five years. He had that three-year run uh, of th- of 10 wins or more. And I think that's when he got the big contract. That's when Bowlesby gave him the commitment. That's when then Barter comes on board. David Scorton was on board as far as him leading that program. And I believed in it. And then then comes the whole marriage part, right? Now we're married to this guy. We're paying him a bunch of money <laughs> or where we believe that he's the guy long-term. And, and for the most part, he has been. And then that's earned us some unconditional love. But that unconditional love, I don't think uh, – hands down to the second generation appearances. I think that even though I think Brian's an excellent football coach and I have stood on this podcast and said, he's not all of the problem. uh, There will be a change. He will not coach Iowa's offense uh, after this season. Now I don't believe in changing it midstream. I just don't think that that's going to solve any problems in Iowa City. But I think what we're looking at, and I hate to compare us to Nebraska because I don't think we're in the same situation as Nebraska, but we have to be very careful to not get into the Nebraska scenario where they fired Frank Solich. Frank Solich's greatest challenge was they were no longer able to get the quarterback of Nebraska option football because that quarterback was going other places to play wide receiver or running back. What Iowa is no longer able to get, apparently, is the Eric Steinbacks of the world, uh, the, the Porters, the Gallery who's going into the Hall of Fame. We're not able to consistently get those linemen, uh, which that was what Iowa was built upon. So I'm questioning whether we need to reevaluate the system a little bit um, to match the talent. And one of the benefits of some of these high-powered offenses that you see is the ball leaves the quarterback's hands so quickly, and they don't have to rely on on, on great pass protection. Uh, we don't have an Iowa left tackle or right tackle currently on the roster, and we saw that in full effect. Penn State's got some players who might be first-round draft picks uh, in the NFL draft, but Iowa's offense does not have... Any first round draft picks on their offense right now, and that's a problem. And I don't know.
0: Well, they probably have one, but he's out for the season. so well, Lachey? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I mean, I think you bring up a great point. Is that you know that offense, although outdated, when you have a stalwart offensive line, it works. When you have a average line it's bad and when you have a below average line it's friggin terrible and we're at friggin terrible and we have been for for two three seasons
1: i don't know that we're friggin terrible um i think we're below average um but the fact of the matter is we've got to figure out a way systematically to have a system that the skill players want to come to um and that the linemen can could be set up for some success. I think right now no one in that offensive line room is feeling like they're succeeding. And that's weighing down uh the recruiting is missed at that position over the last 3 yeah. years and we're we're feeling that and I don't I don't I, t- I didn't want to buy into this belief but the more I go back and watch the program died, a part of it died the day that Chris Doyle was rightfully, in my opinion, terminated at the University of Iowa because that's when the line changed. Yeah, no, there,
0: there's definitely, it seems like there's definitely a hangover effect from that. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up the Doyle situation because I think it's pretty clear that, you know, the last thing Ference ever does is fire coaches for lack of performance. You know, he encourages them to leave. He maybe doesn't renew a contract, but you don't see a firing.
1: Yeah, and and he wouldn't have fired Doyle if, if he hadn't had to from the exactly. university. So so here's my
0: here's my I had this weird kind of thought today. You know, in the long interview that Brian Farranst did with Scott Dockerman over the offseason, he I think he had a quote something along the lines of, you know, about resignation. If I thought I was a part of the problem, I would walk out that door today. So that's an interesting thought. But here here's something I'm wondering. What if what if you demoted him back to offensive line coach? I don't know what you do with the guy, Barnett, that's there now, but he clearly hasn't been getting the job done. So whether you encourage him to look elsewhere well, or whatever.
1: He got pretty good vote of confidence from the head man today at his press conference. Not, I know he did, but
0: this season isn't over. So, I, And this is all predicated on Iowa not showing some improvement. I mean, I'm still not 100%, 100% convinced that Penn State might not have the best defense in the country, in which case maybe Iowa's not as deficient as they appeared, although they're clearly somewhat deficient.
1: I, I think it's more than somewhat, but I think that you're right there, though, too, is that 31-0 against Penn State on a rainy day in Happy Valley – when you turn the ball over four times and you you put the ball in harm's way from a turnover standpoint six times. Uh, and here's the thing. The offense is not alone in their deficiency from Saturday. Special teams right. played like crap. Mm. Absolute crap. Cooper DeGene loves the guy, but he's not exonerated from the criticism. Um, he, it's not completely on him, that that stumble effect. I know it's hard it's hard to hear that poison call that peter call um but at some point you got to try to make sure you're in position that you got to see that anticipate it and try to put yourself in position to to recover that ball should it hit should it hit your teammate um that one was probably the flukiest of the turnovers eric all's got to protect the football you know, we've got to protect the quarterback sack fumbles are not on the quarterback. That's a hundred percent on the offensive line. Uh, just bad stuff all around. And we've seen that in happy Valley before. And what did they do? They came right back and they beat in second ranked Michigan in Kinnick stadium. Now Michigan state's not that Michigan team. Thank God. Uh, but we got to make sure that there is no hangover and Honestly, I just hope they adopted the us against the world mentality. They need to give the fan base, the bird a little bit, almost go full on Adam Woodbury when he shushed the Carver Hawkeye crowd. Yeah. And no one said he could dunk. Uh, I, I kind of would, I, I it wouldn't offend me if they're offended by us as a fan base and just pissed off and go out
0: and win. Well, I mean, they're saying the right things, you know, McNamara sounded fired up. I like that. And here's here's something I was thinking about today, Joel. And I wrote about it in the column too, is that, you know, uh, Bladel and I, Jim Bladel, the f- original Twelve Saturdays host with me, uh, were at the Arizona State game in 2004, and that was every bit as bad, if not worse, than what just happened at Penn State. I mean that that looked just. Iowa looked like a comedy of errors and Arizona State looked like the nineteen eighty five Bears. And, you know, we left that game at halftime and went and got shit faced at a Irish pub. And yeah, uh
1: thankfully I had a thought,
0: there, there was a so, jumper. I thought that season was over and Iowa friggin' won the Big Ten and then beat Nick Saban and LSU in the Capital One Bowl. So why 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 should I not think hey happened once, it could happen again? Oh, absolutely. And I'm with you. Like, I sound pretty down. All right. I'm going to interrupt one more time. Here's the thing, though. You know what, what changed, though? They had all their running backs injured, so they just went to a total, like, crazy different offense and then also had good defense and special teams. So, you know, that's what was nuts to me about Ferentz saying, well, I'm not going to change my playbook. It's like, so you'll only change your playbook if forced. even though you saw it actually turn your entire season around, win a big 10 championship and win a bowl game. I mean, wh- why not?
1: But, <laughs> and that very well could be in the cards. I, I mean, I also, if he is going to make some changes and encourage change, I, I would hope that he doesn't say it in his Tuesday press conference that, you know, we, we looked at the film, we, or yeah. you're going to see us wide open. I mean, we've seen them wide open before. We've seen some changes made. Uh, let's not forget that this staff is capable of putting together a pretty stellar offensive game plan. Um, I do think that they're so committed to complementary football they 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 leave themselves such a narrow margin for victory that when it starts to go sideways the way it did against Penn State, there's just not a lot that they can do to have a big comeback. Now they've done it against teams yeah. like Pitt, and they did it against teams like you know Purdue in 2002. Um, those those we that was not the team that Iowa was playing on on Saturday. And the one thing that when you see Iowa really make a big surge or a big upset or a big turn is they typically knock out the opposing team's quarterback Like when you look at Penn State a few years ago, they Jack Campbell breaks Clifford's rib, and they have to bring in the underclassman who's clueless in the the noise. Kyle Orton gets a concussion when he his lone trip to Kinnick Stadium while he was playing at Purdue. I think that 2002 season they they knocked out six of the ten quarterbacks they played that year, something like that. So we're the guy. We're not getting any pressure up front. Jamari Harris isn't doing himself any favors. Uh, Struggling a little bit out out wide. Uh, There's a lot of people who deserve to be criticized after Saturday, but they don't deserve to be criticized uh, without the expectation that they can actually improve or get better. So that's, I think that's the key. That's where I'm at is I want to see meaningful change because we're kind of at rock bottom. I think in this current version of Iowa football, I also know the schedule is easy. But no schedule is easy, so let's just play one game at a time here. And I think some of that's the burn from the fan base is we get all excited. We think this is the year, and then one bump in the road seems to derail the fragility, and some of us are fragile. Um, this, one well, hurt, I mean, this one hurt more, though, because it feels like well, I'm not seeing anything different. From the past.
0: Yeah. That, that, that it's the rep- repetition and the, that is the, what kicks in the Ference fatigue, you know? um, That said, you know, I use the word slump buster in my column today to describe Michigan state. You got a program that, uh, out lost two games at home by over 50 points combined. Uh, doesn't exactly have a coach, uh, kind of spiraling themselves. Is that a dangerous team or is this a, uh,
1: get right game for Iowa? I think it's a get right game, night game, blackout game. Uh, if I'm Ferentz, I walk in and I say marketing team, I'm sorry. We're wearing yellow pants. Uh, sorry, <laughs> but that's just, that's just cause I'm a superstitious cat. Uh, but I know they're going to blackout Saturday. Let's just hope that they, the blackout doesn't play so poorly that it makes me want to get blackout drunk in my, in my <laughs> living room. So I, but it was, yeah, it was rock bottom and it's, I just, we, we, there's nowhere to go, but up as far as offensive line play goes, um, uh, those two freshman running backs, they were put in a tough spot. Uh, yeah, and and like I said, Penn State might have four NFL defensive linemen that we saw on Saturday. They really do. I, I didn't realize they were that good. Uh, I listened to Todd McShay today on the Ryan Rosillo podcast say he thinks Penn State has the best defense in college football this year. So yeah, I that, I made, think that made me feel a little bit better hearing I mean, somebody he's... with. In
0: the in the plays I watched, and I actually went back and rewatched some of the game. I mean, they it the one play where he was complaining that there wasn't a hands to the face call on Penn State. I'm like, okay, well, every Iowa offensive lineman was holding for dear freaking life as they're getting thrown around like ragdolls. I'm like, I'm sure if I'm that official, you're looking at that melee, watching Iowa just get lambasted, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to throw a flag here because I'd have to throw three holding flags too. I mean, it was... was
1: Yeah, two flags and a hat on some of those offensive plays, possibly with all the holding. But it's... Yeah, it's done. We got to flush it as a fan base. Yes. I, wrote, I wrote my piece largely so that I could just to get that. It was catharsis. So it was get this out of my system, get the poison out of my body, be <laughs> mad. Uh, and I followed Herman Edwards' advice, and I didn't press send. So uh, okay. so that's the good thing about it. And we know that this is going to be fun. Saturday, is at this point, you just got to move on, move forward. And... So here's my question to you. This team goes eleven and one and loses to Ohio State or Penn State or Michigan in the Big Ten championship game. It's still a good season. I'm not I'm not gonna we, we cannot become a fan base that is dissatisfied with playing for championships whether the national media says you're worthy of it or not you you can't yeah. be you can't be dissatisfied by that but here here's the thing is that
0: you know Iowa right now is stuck in the bottom part of the middle class or maybe the middle of the middle class in football i mean they're they can beat up on lesser programs and they go toe to toe with peer programs, um, but they're sliding further back from the top tier. That's the part that's the most concerning as a fan, and, you know. Especially with the Big Ten about to change and to bring in some more marquee names, you know. Uh, we have a good NIL program. We should be getting good talent, you know. Uh, but are we keeping up in terms of our thinking and our analytics Whoa. and our approach? game. That's
1: that's the part that gives me heartburn. Well, and I think we're going to have to see some change because I don't think we're going to get to that 25-point threshold um, after this game. A shutout really hurts those numbers. So all the more reason for us is to stop talking about it and just see how the rest of the season goes. But yeah. the question that I was asked, I got a, a text message on Sunday afternoon. If, if Brian is gone, who are the first calls that should be made uh, to be the offensive coordinator. And so I put together a list because I'm intrigued. And one of the most alarming statistics, as I did some analysis over the weekend, was we are 129th in college football on yards per play on first down. We are tied for third from the last in, in college football. On yards per play on first down, and that is inexcusable. Um, that is something that has to change, and I think that there's we have to we have to bring new football to Iowa City. And I'm a Dolphins fan. We all saw what they did on Sunday, putting the 70 burger up, and Mike McDaniel's from the Shanahan tree. And I think that if I am Kirk Ferentz the first phone call I make is to San Francisco and I try to hire their quarterbacks coach Brian Greasy from the San Francisco 49ers to be my quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator to bring that Shanahan system a guy who's got Big Ten knowledge obviously played in the Big Ten has tremendous respect for Iowa Um, you know but he's, he's in coaching now. He's out of the broadcast booth. He's been with the 49ers for three seasons. We've seen how he's brought Brock Purdy along. Now, I know Kyle Shanahan's been a huge part of that as well. But why not take a shot at, at Brian Greasy? Because um, I don't think you'd have to completely change the system and you'd bring some of those modern things to it. Yeah, oh, I mean, that would be a home run. I
0: mean, obviously, the big question there is some of those NFL guys decide that – you know, NFL or bust. So, I mean, I throw a bunch of money at him and
1: see, make him say no. Right. Uh, Another guy I would call is Ben Arbuckle. Who's the co-offensive coordinator at Washington state, but he's got a background at Western Kentucky and he's from Texas originally as a Texas recruiter. Um, I, I actually know Ben a little bit through some friends of friends. Uh, I think he, and just in Washington States in a, a, a transition as far as conference goes. So maybe there's a chance you could lure him away. Almost yeah. almost like, and, a, uh,
0: you know, come via OC in the big 10. That's, that's, that's a little bit of a buoy throwing to him.
1: And then another guy is Georgia Southern's passing game coordinator and quarterback coach, uh, Ben Alpin or Ryan Alpin, Ryan Alpin. Um, Georgia Southern's head coach is Clay Helton, whom Iowa beat in you know the bowl game when he was the head coach at USC. Uh, interestingly enough, Ben's brother is the head coach at Western Kentucky, where Arbuckle was last year, and so there's some some Helton family crossover there. But I think we are seeing Georgia Southern has played in the Big Ten the last couple of week years. They're competitive. Um, they've brought this that spread attack that also has some run game to it. Uh, I think that's what Iowa should look at. Um, and the reason I looked at those particular programs are because they have played power five schools, at least three power five schools in the beginning of their season. And they are in the top 15 in yards per play on first down. So that to me, that's a key statistic. That's a key metric that Iowa needs to evaluate and Iowa needs to improve on. If that that's the first thing I'm trying to improve, if I'm the Iowa offense is my efficiency on first down.
0: Yeah, I just I mean, I love the idea, but I just I just my brain can't conceive of uh Kirk Ferentz actually admitting that he needs that radical of change and help. I mean, well, uh, I he truly believes I think that uh you just keep pounding away at that rock till you get it all squared away
1: well and i i if that doesn't happen and i honestly think there's a scenario where kirk retires at the end of this year um and if that happens if i mean i i I, i'm not changing my opinion of lavar woods i would be totally comfortable with lavar woods being named head coach at the university of iowa but if the Moon family, or whomever, I you know the Krauses just made a bunch of money selling Come and Go to somebody. You know, if we need to bring Struck to back up, I don't think we have to drive very far. I think you back the bring Struck up to uh, to Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah, and you give Lance Leopold whatever he wants, and oh, say yeah, and say you're you're the awesome. guy at Iowa if you want it, and uh, come come yeah. bring us some. We you could actually win championships here. Yeah. No, nope. I love that idea. So, Oh, this is so depressing to think of it, but we're, we're at a time where meaningful change has to happen. And, uh, I think it took, I think let's, let's be
0: clear, uh, depending on how this season plays out. I mean, if there is some sort of a redemption story by the end of the season, which has happened in the past, you know, we're having a completely different conversation on, you know, Thanksgiving than we are today. I, I but... think go ahead. This, that, you know, th- that's what is so fascinating to me is that, you know, maybe Penn State is in college football playoff team and is, you know, on par with, you know, a Clemson or Alabama or something like that. We just got stomped like everybody else is going to get stomped. Could be. We just don't know yet is my point. So, you know, <laughs> three and one is three and one still. And you have the entire rest of your Big Ten schedule to go.
1: Yes. And the pedigree that, that Ferris has created though we shouldn't get curb stomped by Ever. that that level of team we just shouldn't nope. and that's where i'm at and i think I, and i'm not spoiled believe me i know how hard it is to do what kirk Ferris has done over the last 25 years and i am in no way calling for his job um, I'm just saying, I don't know that I would be heartbroken if he retired at the end of this year. And I think 12 months ago, I wouldn't have felt that way. And part of it is because I don't want to see a Joe Paterno ending to Kirk Ferentz's career. Now, I'm not talking about the Sandusky scandal. I'm talking about how... Remember, Joe Paterno was heavily criticized because he. there was rumored to be holding on to try to hand the job over to his son, Jay, who was his offensive coordinator at the end. And there's just too many parallels right now with that story, save for the scandal and the yeah. and the Ferentz story that I just don't want to see that be how it ends. But I, I think that it might be inevitable. I hope that the redemption story happens. I hope this team goes 11-1 and and plays in Indianapolis. And who knows, shocks the world. But I hope for that so that Brian finds a really nice place to land because he's worth it. He's a good football coach, and and I think he would be outstanding um, somewhere. Uh, I just think that it's time for him to move on from Iowa. And I, I can't believe I'm saying that out loud because three weeks ago I, I don't think I would have said it. But... You know, sometimes, like I said, changes is st- always bad. The stat that blew my mind the most, and the one that is
0: the most damning, I think, of all the horrendous stats in that game, is Iowa gained, what, 76 yards? And Delaware, the Delaware Blue Hens managed 150 yards against that same defense. Now, if you can't get to half of what the Delaware Blue Hens did against Penn State... You got no business running that offense out in a Big Ten game.
1: Period. The end. That's, that's, that's pathetic. Yeah. It's, it wasn't apples to apples, though, because weather sucked. Um, and they weren't doing all of the games up front that they did against Delaware. There's not a blood feud between the Delaware Blue Hens <laughs> and, and, and the Iowa Hawkeyes and, and Penn State. So, uh, I try not to do too much transitive property in my in my analysis for a lot of those variables. His number though is seventy six total yards. Yeah, no, I, mean, I don't want, I don't want my total yards to equal the number of trombones leading the big parade. So right. I so, mean Yeah, it's bad. We should have had seventy six yards on the first series in total honesty. So it's, yeah, it's, it's bad. I'm, I'm not, we don't need to belabor that point any longer, but I hope you're right. Hopefully Iowa can catch lightning in a bottle and, uh, and get the, the ship righted this weekend. I think they will. I mean, I'm there 12 and a half point favorites against Michigan state as of right now. But uh, we've got a guest that we're going to bring on in a little bit. I know you got to run away for a little bit and I'm going to interview our guest here. But his uh, our guest coming up is wrote a book all about kind of lightning in a bottle on the, the comedy scene in Chicago. But he also happens to be a University of Iowa grad and his cousin played football for the Hawks. And yeah, uh, so we've got a guest coming up. It should be a fun one. Bring some levity. We're having some fun too with the Spartans and the Hawkeyes with a little funny name tournament at the end of this. Uh, at the end of this interview, hopefully, we get this comedian to have some fun. So Mike uh former Hawkeye Hawkeye alum, is uh, is joining us here in a little bit. So I know you got to run real fast, and you'll come back to do some picks for the Big Ten. And welcome back to the 12 Saturdays 2.0 podcast. Joel Krauser are here with you. Tori had to step out for a second, but we have a guest joining us, and we need a little bit of levity after we just talked about what happened this past weekend in Happy Valley. And he has a new book coming out. It's an Iowa graduate book. Uh, Stand-up comedian extraordinaire and the host of The Hunk with Mike Bridenstine podcast, Iowa's own Mike Bridenstine, joining us all the way from Los Angeles, California. So, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. We're spanning the globe now as a podcast.
2: Yeah, span it, Joel. I'm ready for you out here. We're ready for 12 Saturdays in Los Angeles.
1: And I know it's... Now, you're, you lived out there and it was not Big Ten country, and now it is yeah. Big Ten country with all the west coast teams joining the big 10 and probably nobody you know even cares i mean i know people who love ucla
2: basketball and i know my wife went to usc it's it was like fun to pretend we're a rivalry i'm i personally love uh that they're coming out here so we'll see it's going to be a weird cultural shift but i'm ready for it
1: yeah i'm excited actually for washington um Keelan DeBoer I've said this on the podcast the coach of Washington used to coach in the same conference I coached in out in western Iowa and his uh, offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb is from Kingsley Iowa so there's a lot of Iowa connections to that Washington staff and uh, maybe that's well when that happens though all your Iowa friends can come out and see you in Los Angeles and uh, and come to your comedy club that you are a manager of and and the bar and stuff because Tell, tell the audience kind of what you do now out in California since you left Iowa, and we'll talk a lot about your Chicago uh, influence coming up, because that's that's some exciting news this week for you as well. Well, I moved, I moved out to Los Angeles in 2007,
2: so about this time of year, 2007. And for the most part, I've done acting stuff, like mostly for commercials, and I've written on a few things, um, done stand-up on a few things. And my day job currently is managing, it's also a night job, but I manage a comedy theater in Silver Lake called the Lyric Hyperion. There's two comedy shows every night of the week. It's a cafe during the day. I, uh, The owner and operators are um, this guy, Sean Casey and his wife, who manage a lot of comedy places around LA, and we just kind of hit it off, and yeah, it's been challenging, and I have... Uh, uh, you know, only the only experience I really have is in doing the shows, which I enjoy. So it's uh, it's been a fun challenge, and it's been uh, fun to be the face of a of an institution, I guess. I'm and the Brian Ference, they say, of uh, of Los Angeles.
1: You're going to get hate emails now from our listeners by by speaking of Brian Ferens in a positive manner.
2: <laughs> oh, you did. I will say, sharp haircuts, Brian Ference. He has sharp haircuts.
1: I wish I had the hair to be able to do what he's what he is. Anyway. Oh, you look good. If if you're not watching this, Joel looks good. Uh, and yeah, we don't, because of how I look, we don't put this out in, in video form just, just yet. So Joel is a liar. He looks fantastic. His hair <laughs> is even better. Uh, and I also should say, Mike is a, from Muscatine, Iowa as well. I promise you. We don't only book people who have connections to Muscatine in some way, shape or form. But for some reason, the five, two, seven, six, one zip code is doing some cool things. And one of those things is you started out in comedy uh, at the summit. Is that correct? The summit in Iowa City? That's right. The summit in Iowa City was a Wednesday night comedy show once a week in uh, right there across from the old capital. So you finish your degree in communications from Iowa and you decide, I want to be a struggling artist and you <laughs> move to, yeah. to Chicago yeah. uh, to get into the, to start up. Yeah, it was interesting.
2: I, the first open mic I walked into was Pete Holmes, Kumail, probably Nate Bergazzi was there. And just a slew of people that I that were not famous, that were in their early 20s, and then went on to great successes in this, this struggling, tiny scene that nobody cared about for various reasons. And so, yeah, I was there for four years, and I kind of thought it was special in the moment. And then the more that time has gone by, people have said, like, you were in that scene with you know, those guys, like, what
1: was it like? And, and so I decided during COVID to write about it. And you host a podcast also that's called Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. And it's a, it's a show that you have folks, you know, Coming on, they're comedians. It's a panel show. It started out doing interviews. It's migrated during COVID to this panel show. So you still are very plugged in with your job at the at the comedy with your with the Lyrian Lyric Hyperion Mm -hmm. into the comic world. So you're still talking to these people constantly. And I think one of the interesting things that you did was you interviewed people about the Chicago comedy scene during COVID, and you've turned that into a book now. Yeah, so it's it's
2: out. It's it came out uh, yesterday and, um, you know, some, I'm doing some press for it, including anything Jill Kraussard needs me to do. And then, yeah, so it's, uh, it came out, I've never written a book before. And so, you know, I don't know what to expect and, uh, you tell me if it's good. I don't know. I do have a communications degree from the university of Iowa. So, uh,
1: that came with, that comes with it. Well, the book is called The Perfect Amount of Wrong, and you can get it anywhere you get books, uh, whether it's Amazon or your local. Uh, I know Target's got it on there as well, Barnes & Noble. Sold out on Target, so maybe hit up
2: Barnes & Noble. Oh. I, 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 who knows how many they bought but uh, or carry, but yeah,
1: Target, uh, Barnes & Noble or uh, Amazon is probably the way to go. And, and you can pick up this book, but it's it's a series of interviews and a series of stories about this scene, and you know it's called alt comedy or alternative comedy, but really it was just some new voices uh, bringing their stories to the to the microphone. Well,
2: yeah, the in Chicago the Second City um, theater is king. It's it since arrived in the '50s, it has just consistently produced. Stars. And so when people think of comedy in Chicago, they think of Second City and they think of the genre of improv and sketch comedy. They stand up is the, you know, the ugly stepchild. And so when I moved there in the early 2000s, stand up nationally was also not very popular. And so I would be at work and I would say I did stand up, and people would say, would ask me if it was like Second City. And I would say, no, it's like what Jerry Seinfeld stands with a microphone and says at the beginning of the show. And so, so many in the, in the eighties, so many comedy clubs had opened in Chicago, but when it bottomed out in popularity in the nineties and early two thousands, all of the clubs closed except for Zany's. And for whatever reason, Zany's didn't book local comedians. And the perception was that they didn't nurture a local scene. So all of these people that wanted to do stand-up in the third largest city in the country had to create their own scene. So it was an alternative to the comedy clubs at the same time that in New York and Los Angeles, an alt-comedy movement was starting from a new generation who were kind of rejecting the club comedy that came before them. It was a very, it's, it's very akin to like the grunge scene or punk rock in a way that, um, rejecting of, uh, arena rock and hair metal respectively. You also
1: gained some, some viral attraction too, uh, after the passing of Norm Macdonald. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> when, when Tom Segura, who you have opened for, and you've known Tom for a long time, I know, uh, Recounted the story of you being in the audience when Norm Macdonald walked hancher Auditorium. Yeah, that was the first comedy show I ever went to, and I went with my
2: mom and a few friends from high school. And he, I told the st- he walked eighty percent of the audience, but he, I told the story to Tom Segura years ago on your mom's house, his his very popular podcast, and um it got brought back up in a documentary. And then since then, um, the Cedar Rapids Gazette has done an oral history of the the people remembering what happened that night. And I've since it's kind of the video has gone viral. Tom has posted about it. And so people want to know about it, but yeah, that I saw some, some, maybe the most famous Nora McDonald set as the first, uh, stand-up show i ever went to in my life and i feel
1: like yeah i guess like pretty fortunate to have seen it well and do you think that 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 dog whistle so to speak is was kind of formative in the kind of comedy you wanted to do and you were attracted to and you know those are some of the some of those outlandish types of acts are the kind of acts that you talk about in your book
2: well yeah i i think that when I was a teenager, I was probably um, enjoyed the rebellious nature of it or the, how it was naughty. I was there, of course, with my mother, which didn't, uh, you know, that didn't form my comedic opinions. My mom left. She was one of the people that walked out and stood in the lobby of Old Hancher. And she's like, they just kept piping the sound into the lobby. <laughs> like it was <laughs> so it we part of it was how naughty it was like comedy with, you know, when you're a teenager, it's different than, than now. I don't have, I didn't really have any knowledge about what it took to write a joke or to be like, wow, what, what he's doing is, you know, I I would have a different opinion of it um, now. And I would still laugh probably. I think my reaction would be the same, but I think that I would um, definitely be more informed about, why he might be doing it or is the choice that he made to do it. Um, it, it or I would assume something had happened backstage that uh, I would want to know about. So, yeah, that, he got disinvited from a golf outing. It was it was Duffy, the, the Des Moines Register cartoonist, had a political <laughs> cartoon of him the next day. This was a big deal in 1997 and then again in 2017, I want to say, or...
1: Um, or so for the 20th anniversary, 20th, the 20th anniversary. Yeah. And going back to, to your book, I know I, I was fortunate enough that I was seen a lot of the interviews cause you recorded them via zoom or whatever. Um, and I, I, listened to them. I, my copy of my book arrives today. I was, I pre-ordered it. My copy arrives today. So I haven't had a chance to get my hands on the, on the book yet, but with, These folks that you're interviewing, and it's a great title, again, The Perfect Amount of Wrong, The Rise of Old Comedy on Chicago's North Side from 1996 to 2008. And Pete Holmes wrote the foreword uh Kumail Nanjiani is also featured in the book a little bit uh Kumail also matriculated collegiately in Iowa at Grinnell and Mm -hmm. uh is you guys have a lot of that in common and he's on your show often Kyle Kinane another voice that many of our audience may have heard he just played the Angler Theater last year in Iowa City um what was so unique about the Lincoln Lodge, which you will be doing some shows at this weekend in Chicago. What was so unique about that particular environment that really, truly seems to be lightning in a bottle? I think the environment was that
2: because of rejection from the club, these comics that wanted to perform had to... There was no social media, you also have to remember. So the only way to get respect was from your peers. And so your peers were not going to respect you unless you were bringing a crazy amount of originality and authenticity to what you were doing. You, you didn't get in with the cool kids unless you were bringing it. And so that meant not pandering to tourists, I meant not doing stuff for gatekeepers. It was away from Hollywood industry and, you know, New York industry, we were isolated. And so, in this nerdy thing that nobody cared about nationally and so people got better and pushed And the culture was to push each other because people actually cared about being good at the thing it's a very midwestern thing to not care about credits or um not run on reputation it is the midwest is a f you prove it place and that's and that's what I loved about Chicago for the for the Lincoln Lodge the Lincoln Lodge itself was a magical show because it was a in the back of a pancake house and producers Mark Geary and Tom Lawler transformed the back banquet hall every Friday and then every Friday and Saturday and then sometimes every Thursday, Friday and Saturday until they have a new beautiful venue with three theaters in it, Um, they transformed it into a 1970s Shriners Lodge and put on a variety show. They built the stage, they built the lights, they built the curtains and backstage area, and then tore it down at the end of the night. While geriatric waitresses shouted the orders at a woman with the largest and loudest cash register you've ever seen, (laughs) none of this should have worked at all. We did shows um, at places that the L train would whoosh by every 15 minutes, and you'd have to pause so it would happen or we would stand in you know dive bars on their off nights on top of wobbly coffee tables as the stage like so the book is the book is about how yes like all of these people that are nationally famous did come out of this scene but also how just how impossible that actually was so the perfect amount of wrong is kind of um you know just saying like if the, all of the conditions were correct I don't think that the same, the same talent would have emerged.
1: It, it's it's a fascinating story, and I, it was fun to listen to kind of how that all compiled from these different comedians' point of view. And I, I can't wait to to read how that all ties in together uh, in your book. And so, folks, I can't I can't recommend Mike enough from a comedic standpoint you can find his uh, stand up specials uh, on Apple Music or Spotify or other are-, are played it's called hustle this is his most recent one uh, the final track of hustle perhaps is one of my favorite comedic bits of all time largely because i was on the same field, just a year later, uh, the, as it's being described as a, as a high school baseball player and played for the same coaches that 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 final track outlines. And uh, the hungry wolf hunts best is your first stand up uh, album, and that's another one that you and you recorded that at the R.I.P. the Mill yeah. in Iowa City. So unfortunately, that that venue no longer. Available. But Iowa City clearly has a has a strong tie to your heart in Iowa football. Yeah, cousin your cousin Alex Canellas was a was a player for the Hawkeyes. So you've you've been around Iowa City and Iowa sports your whole life as well. Yeah, my parents both went to West
2: High and um, so my yeah, my whole family is from Iowa City. Um, I, it was my sister went to the University of Iowa. I went, my parents went. It was just what, you know, I, I just thought I was expected to go to Iowa. You know, I was not an athlete, as we have talked about in that track. Uh, so, so I, you know, I had pursued the arts. Um, but yeah, it, I, I, i'm a huge uh iowa uh sports fan and so I, I i i i'm kind of boycotting this season uh for reasons i hinted at earlier but uh you're but, quiet you're quiet quitting with i 20, quiet 20, hawkeyes i quiet quit the 2023 hawkeyes i was going to do a full podcast with comedian and former snl uh cast member brooks whelan where we did a full like Mel Brooks producers style uh, show where we rooted actively (laughs) against
1: the Hawkeyes this year we thought that that would be funny then I guess both of us just forgot about it well, you're very busy. You've got your book coming out. You'll be in Chicago this weekend. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 26th, but you'll be in Chicago at the Lincoln Lodge on uh, Saturday, the 30th. Yeah. Uh, we'll give, people are in the area who listen. Uh, where can they get their tickets? How can they come see you there?
2: I'll, Friday, I'll be at Volumes Book Cafe. That is on Milwaukee. I think it's in Bucktown. I'm not positive, but that is also an Iowa alumni event. So for all the Hawkeyes, if they want to go... Uh, you know, meet up with like former homecoming style event in Chicago, uh at Volumes Book Cafe doing a Q&A with Steve Heisler from the Chicago Sun Times. And then uh Saturday, two PM, I will be at the Lincoln Lodge for a panel with former comedians from the scene. And then six PM that night, there's a stand-up show with uh, you know, similar comedians, and then those comedians um also can be heard a lot on Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. So it, it's just a, a fun event to launch the books. Um, I'll probably take a tour of Wrigley Field from Joe Kilgallen uh, the morning of with my with my parents and wife. Uh, where else can I be seen? Uh, I'll be on WGN uh, at some point. So yeah, lots of events that people can watch while I'm in Chicago.
1: And I know you were interviewed by the New York Times for this book. as well. Yeah, the, the person who talked to me before
2: you, uh, it was Jason Thhneman uh, from the New York Times so that I guess that comes out Wednesday or Thursday morning or not at all I've I've had other bigger things uh promised to me that never happened so
1: well check out Mike whenever you can Mike brightenstein the hunk with Mike brightenstein podcast and we're going to pay homage to to your your podcast, because Mike ends his podcast with a song tournament uh, uh, contest. They do where he picks a year. This past week, uh, it was 1963. They selected as the uh, the year. So you pick the top eight Billboard songs, uh, and you guys, as a comedian panel, litigate and pick the winner for each year. Uh, usually, I disagree with whomever you guys pick as the winner. Uh, the, the best but, is he got Joel. Joel
2: is a part of the show don't let joel under underplay this joel does the theme song for for um song tournament I trolled Joel Krausar with some of the picks intentionally to get a reaction out of him. Uh, The idea was uh, borrowed from Joel as well. I gave Joel the idea and then borrowed it back from him. So yeah, Joel Joel is definitely ingrained into the fabric of the show.
1: I used to have a podcast that we talked about movies and we one of the COVID ideas we had was we made a tournament and we did the best baseball movies of all time. Mike was on that show along with uh, now I Iowa, uh, representative JD Schulton uh, and my, my, my partner, Tony Tone, uh, who's, uh, we used to do the show together. So yeah, so it, this has gone back and forth. So I took some ownership of it, but you definitely have made it, made it something far more important. And, uh, Uh, it's been I even got to be on it once and Kyle Canadian made fun of me. So I felt pretty good about, uh, uh, one of my comedic heroes, uh, finding me funny enough to, to razz me a little bit. So you got got razzed by Rob Delaney as well. I did. I did. And then my kids think it's cool because they love home sweet home alone, which features Pete Holmes, who wrote the foreword for your book, uh, is also in that movie. So uh, you have connected me to my comedic heroes. And the least we can do is promote your book here on 12 Saturdays. So we're going to do the best names of Michigan State and iowa football players so i'd only went to four because i know we have limited time uh today so we're not going to do the full eights like you do but I, I your your podcast is worth tuning in just for the song term and alone not all the other and all the other went witty banter but okay so how i did it was one side of the bracket is iowa i see okay. that the top four one through four one side of the bracket is michigan state and so I seeded that one through four. So we'll start with the one and four matchup on the Michigan State side. The number one seed, former Michigan State football player, Little John Flowers. Little John Flowers, the one seed for the Michigan State. Okay, I like
2: it. He's uh, you're not going to know this, Joel, but Little John is a rapper. Uh, he first off,
1: yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> Shout out Tony Tone. Uh, Joel. That's the Daffin. other man. Is they make fun of me because I don't know rap music. He knows. He knows rap if it's in uh, Hamilton. But we uh, living. That. The... So this, and then number four. So Little John Flowers, the one seed, against number four Police Academy's own Bubba Smith. Ooh, Bubba, Bubba Smith, the four seed. Okay, so are we taking into account? That there's no way his name is Little John. That is no, no. It is his birth name. I looked it up. It is his birth name is Little John Flowers. His birth name is
2: Little. Yep. That's that's why he's the one season. Huh? That's exactly why he's the one. Okay, so Bubba, it, what's
1: his? What is his I, Christian I couldn't, name? I couldn't find his birth name. I think it might be Bubba. I don't think so. <laughs> okay, if the Officer Hightower in our hearts, though. <sighs>
2: <laughs> so Bubba Smith's real name is what? Charles. Okay. I just, well, I, I should have done a better. I'm going to take, I'm going to take Little John Flowers because Bubba, listen, anybody can call themselves Bubba and Smith, boring. Flowers is even interesting. So Little John Flowers, that's um, that's a quality name. Bubba Smith is. Uh, he needed an he needed to borrow an interesting first name because his last name is Smith. So uh,
1: flowers for the win on that one. All right, I'll, I'll agree with that. Even though we don't have a tiebreaker, so this is a weird two-person consensus. Uh so Little John Flowers moves on. Bubba Smith, though, did have the entire Michigan State Stadiums chanting "Kill Bubba, Kill!" while he was a defensive end for the Spartans. May back in the, the day. All right, so that will take us to the other side of the bracket, to the Iowa one versus four matchup. Number four, the four seed, Demostrius, Demo Odoms, former wide receiver for the Hawkeyes. Demo Odoms, the four seed. Demostrius? That's amazing. Demostrius, like D-E-M-O. So the Demo comes from from that part. Amazing. I am... Demostrius is a name
2: I've never heard before, and what's his middle name? Oh, you're know. saying you're saying Demo Demostrius Demo Odom. Yeah, so he went by Demo Odoms. Played War Number Ten was a wide receiver for Hayden Fry. I remember, I remember Demo Odoms. So I did not know the Demostrius. So I
1: okay, that's a great name. I've never heard it before or since. <laughs> He's the four seed. Going up against one of my favorite players, because I just wanted to be a Hawkeye tight end when I grew up. Number one seed, Michael Titley. Michael Titley, the tight end for the Hawkeyes. How do you spell Titley? T-I-T-L-E-Y. God damn. Uh, Lots of giggles from row 12 in the north end zone from about a 10-year-old Joel Krause. I love
2: that there are still people walking around with like swear word or like last names like if, <laughs> if your name was like joel fuckley like you couldn't just walk around these streets you know what i mean like people would be like hey man like let's uh let's talk about it. let's change it to
1: kraussar yeah but the, like for the record that was not the uh the, nothing like that happened at ellis island for my family's uh <laughs> heritage
2: I, I don't, I'm assuming Titley has got to be like a British
1: name that means like, it's a, it's a haberdasherer, but like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I didn't go too deep into the etymology of these last names,
2: but Odom, Odom is a common name. You've heard a million times, Demostrius, uh, it might be some sort of Roman name. I'm going to go ahead and say he went by Demo and people, are, you know, if someone's like, like hey, hey, are you picking the upset?" I'm I'm going
1: with Titley, bro. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I was hoping so. That's because I will never be able to not giggle and it's it's one of the few th- things like I we've watched the old Iowa games and with my kids and stuff and my 12-year-old son giggles every time Michael Titley catches a pass in the in the classics. It's, so Titley is is unquestionably funny. That is
2: objectively hilarious.
1: All right, so the two one seeds move on in the Michigan State versus Iowa Best Names Tournament onto the three and the two seed for Michigan State. The number three seed, former quarterback Jeff Smoker for Michigan okay. State. Yeah, Jeff Smoker. Okay, all right. Number three against yep. number two. Interestingly enough, number the two seed. For Michigan State is the younger brother of Little John Flowers, and his name is Tico Duckett. (laughs) Tico Duckett, the two seed. He's the little brother. They are brothers. So TJ and Tico Duckett are brothers of Little John Flowers. Okay, Tico. T-I-C-O, Tico Duckett. And if you're naming your son
2: Little John, is Tico his Christian name? Yes, Tico is not short for anything. Nope. Tico Duckett. <laughs> okay. I don't know how you beat that with smoker. So, I mean, this guy, uh, his someone in his lineage was a barbecue a craft, uh, you know, just a pit master. And so <laughs> he smoked meats. And so he was given uh, that last name. Yeah. Whereas Tico Duckett, uh, Sounds like a rejected name of an A team member. I'm going <laughs> I'm going with Tico Duckett all day. So we're gonna have a family
1: showdown family showdown in the in the semifinal. Okay. Here on the Michigan State side of the bracket on the Iowa side of the bracket. Again, these names were generated by me. So if you have an issue as listeners, I apologize. I can't. I mean, if
2: it, I think I asked beforehand, but if is Epinesa Epinesa on this list?
1: Epinesa, Epinesa, not on the list. And I don't know if it's because it was just Watered down a little bit by his son AJ, who you know had a big weekend, had a pick six for the Bills this weekend. Uh, and his son Eric is on the roster for the Hawkeyes this year as well. So I don't know if it's just we've got enough Epenesa uh, in our in, we've been in, used in, to in it a a while. because we got used to it. But I do love how Hayden Fry called him "repeat" repeat like his nickname they had for him. Yeah. Uh, so Epenesa, Epineza not on the list. Neither was. Uh, Bashir Yamini. I always thought that was a fun name to say yeah. uh, as a kid. But he did not make the list either for the Hawkeyes. Uh, but number three, the three seed running back, were number 33, Scooter Lampkin for the Hawkeyes. That is a fun scooter name.
2: Scooter Lampkin. Are we saying Scooter is his given name? It's not
1: his given name. It's not. But okay. it's just, that's what it was and in the program. So he, but he's got a fun was, name. Yep. It yep, yep. announced Scooter Lampkin. Father Tom Holzhammer said Scooter Lampkin over the PA. So that's what it was. It's a very fun name. Scooter Lampkin goes against another legendary tight end for the Hawkeyes. And one who may become a guest on this show. I reached out to him and he's, I didn't get a, a resounding no. So it's the, maybe there's a chance that the number two seed... Scott Slutsker comes to comes to the Twelve Saturdays podcast. The med- other, for the Scooters. So,
2: okay. So the fun part is of Lampkin is Scooter. Yes, and Lampkin no Lampkin's just the cherry on top. And so
1: the other guy's name is basically Scooter. So, uh, <laughs> but his last name is Slutsker, and I got in trouble at St. Mary Matthias Catholic School in Muscatine when I was a kid because I wrote on my thing that I wanted to be like Slutsker. And I didn't write Scott. I didn't give the teacher any contact. You did? Uh, yes. Like It was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And that's what I answered. You got in trouble? And I got in trouble because they thought I was being cute because I was kind of a smart Yeah, guy. I could see that. So they thought I was being cute and I had to like go to the library and find a Des Moines register that had the box score. So I could show that this was an actual tight end for the Hawkeyes. Wait. So on top of it, you were screaming, no,
2: he's a tight end. (laughs) Yes. 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 I, well, I could see where yeah, I knew you, and I knew you as a young man, so I could see you and your smart mouth uh, screaming, no, Slutsker's a tight end, add a nun, presumably, and them not uh, thinking that you were on the level. So I'm going to go with Scott Slutsker, the story sold me, plus <laughs> I like any um, titly Slutsker, anything that you got that is
1: uh, a dirty word, give it to me all day. <laughs> all right, so... Tidley versus Slutsker against brothers Little John Flowers and Tico Duckett. This is amazing. I feel so good. To stay, I feel so
2: good about my choices. I feel really good about this. Tico, so. Tico v Little John.
1: Tidley v Slutsker. Yeah. This out Tidley v Slutsker sounds like a weird New York City court. Like situation. Like in the old Times Square days, this is like Giuliani is the prosecuting attorney on this one. Yeah, Giuliani. <laughs> he, <laughs> he cleared up Times Square in Tico v. Slutsker.
2: Are <laughs> we? wait, wait. wait. Titley v. Slutsker. Oh, okay, Little John Flowers versus
1: Tico Duckett. Tico, Tico Duckett. <laughs> Oh. tico Ducket is so much better yeah uh, i feel like i i if i was like creating a 2023 ska band i might name it tico Ducket. <laughs> like <laughs> yes so uh, i think that's my
2: vote i think i'm voting for tico Ducket. i think pearl jam one of their first names was like mookie blaylock it was like they named themselves after a basketball player. So Tico Duckett, I mean, there is precedent for naming it after like a wacky name that you heard. I, I think, to, I mean, Little John Flowers, it's, it's fun, but it's like, you could call the the hero of a movie, Little John Flowers, and nobody would think it was weird. If you named it like if Luke Skywalker's name was Little John Flowers, no, every kid would have grown up being like, I want to be a Little John Flowers. If you named Luke Skywalker Tico Duckett, no, it would not, it would, the series, the whole franchise would be done.
1: Yeah, it looks, it's like it was a season of three. Villain in the Flash Gordon cartoon, something like that. That's yes. Yeah. Tico Ducket sounds like
2: Vince McMahon riffing on a name, and then <laughs> and, and then like other people being like, "No, like, oh, come on, we're gonna call him Tico Ducket." Like,
1: uh, so Tico Ducket's in the finals for me. That's yeah, that, me that, That's that's all day. Tico Duck in the finals, who wins Titley v. Slutsker? We got to decide which word is funnier. <laughs> to me, it's Slutsker. Like, it, and anyway, always, well, okay, Slutsker. It's it's more, it's it's like almost like something you would say to your buddy to like want to insult them but not get in trouble. Spell Slutsker. S-L-U-T-Z-K-E-R. Spell Titley. T-I-T-L-E-Y. Here's where I'm going Titley. Because
2: slutsker, it's not the word. It, it sounds like the word. Tilly's right out there. Those that's Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl, buddy. That's that's right out there. That's in your face. That's T I T L E Y. Slutsker is going. Ah, oh, but not really. All right, so that will move
1: on. And also, I'll let the the guests the guests vote. Also, I've I've heard like that. It sounded like the Mickey Mouse Club. T I T L E Y, like it was. Yeah, it had a rhythm to it. Also, I've known people in my life
2: with slut based names, and so it's not. So it's like a Epinesa thing for me, where it's like that was a name people have it. We had we. But I did not know teammates. we had teammates, but I did not
1: know any tit-based uh, names. But this hopefully this isn't the last episode of the Tall Saturdays podcast, but i brought this upon myself. So Michael Titley. So when you say when it sounded like the the Mickey Mouse Club, it was really hard for me not to say see you real soon,
0: because um, <laughs> that
1: was it. <laughs> yeah uh, okay. Nico Ducket versus Michael Titley. And let's just also say that the winner of this, whatever school wins this bracket, is who everyone should bet on for who's going to win the actual game on Saturday night. You know who would win is Titley Duckett.
2: Um, <laughs> or T- Tico Titley. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, what is Titley's first name again? Michael. Michael. Okay, that's my name. So so uh, here's what I'll say. for This is my case for Tico Duckett taking it all. As far as we understand, so Tico is fun. Yep. It's uh, Tico. It's just like a fun, whereas like Michael, it's just a name. It's just like a name a lot of men have, men and boys. And Titley, although very fun, all Duckett. Duckett is like, sounds also like a swear word. Yeah.
1: He was a great running back, too. I think that's the other thing is, like, if someone says Michigan State football, honestly, the first name that comes to my brain is Tico Duckett. I'm, I'm just being honest. That's my – Michael Titley's not the first name that comes to the Hawkeyes for me, even though it's going to be in the first five. Titley's last name is undeniably
2: amazing. And I want to be clear. My last name is Bridenstein. I am not making fun of anyone's last name. No, Sam. Uh, I think Titley is an amazing name. Uh, it's very fun. I think Tico Ducket. his first name is fun and his last name is fun. It sounds like a swear word. It is uh, someone yelling at you uh, to... It's a call to action for something coming at your head. It's uh, It's an amazing name, top to bottom. And I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry you went to Michigan State.
1: But for me... My answer, final answer, Tico Duckett. I think Tico Duckett is the champion of the Michigan State versus Iowa name tournament. I do think that uh, Iowa will win the game This weekend, I know you've watched some legendary Iowa-Michigan State games uh, in your time, going back to the ESPN Zone in Chicago. I won't make you retell that story. If you want to hear that story, I'm sure you can find it. It
2: was the ESPN Zone in Los Angeles, the Marvin McNutt McNutt game. We created a doggy pile in the middle of... uh, espn zone at the right across the street from crypto.com uh with people who were there to see ufc who just happened to be iowa fans that's so awesome.
1: yeah the mcnutt game one of my all-time favorites Such a, and honestly why, why did we not put marvin mcnutt on this list of the best names in iowa football history that's another if one you were my, i did a i did a stand-up show with a comedian named connor
2: mcnutt last thursday and he talks a lot about his name And I was like, it's not that weird of a name. And I, as I was, as we were talking about Michigan State, Iowa, I'm like, oh, Marvin McNutt. That's why I didn't think it It
1: sounds like a Dr. Seuss character. It's a fantastic, fantastic name. It's it it does. It sounds like a mad scientist. Mike, where can people follow you on social media and where can they buy your book?
2: If you go to Amazon, you can buy the book or Barnes and Noble. It's called The Perfect Amount of Wrong. And you can follow me on Instagram at Mike Bridenstine or I guess on X, which I'm never on as at Brido, b r i d o. And I'm sure uh look for the spelling of
1: Mike Bridenstine in the show description. Yes, absolutely. And I'll put links to your book also in the show, in the show notes as well. Mike Bridenstine, Muscatine Zone, Iowa Hawkeye in his own right. You, you mentioned your friend Brooks Whelan, who, uh who is also a Hawkeye, always uh, interesting follow. I wish you guys had been able to do that show. That would have been funny, the uh, <laughs> the producer's style. Yeah. Uh, but it's we're, we're happy to have you on the 12 Saturdays podcast. Folks go buy his book. It's really interesting. Again, Pete Holmes wrote the foreword. Camille Donjiani also uh, wrote some uh, reviews of the book as well. You can see all that stuff on Amazon. And the thing is, is I've obviously known you since we were little kids, but this isn't like, you're just some guy who was in the area and the, you wrote the book. You were there. You lived with these people. You, you were, fr- you still are friends of these people and you can find them on your show every week on Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. Really interesting comedy it's a it's an interesting world that i think a lot of people don't know a lot about you think it's just the netflix specials that you see and there's a lot more to the stand-up comedy world than than that
2: yeah uh it's it's if you're not a comedy fan i hope that it's interesting And if you are a comedy fan i think that you'll find it especially interesting and it's also about um not waiting for people's permission to do things. Nobody's uh, if if you're waiting around to be picked for the thing that you are, that you want to do creatively or otherwise, you can just kind of do it yourself and let the chips fall where they may.
1: Well, you look at some of the old playbills from the Lincoln Lodge that you were a part of that I've seen you post, it, it, it's almost like looking at the 1986 or 1984 uh, Iowa coaching staff, the Hayden Fry coaching staff that had Barry Alvarez, Bob Stoops, Bill Snyder, Kirk Ferentz, Dan McCartney, all of that. You look at some of these playbills and you see you, Pete Holmes, John Mullaney, Kyle Kinney, like it's crazy. How concentrated the talent was in the time period that you're writing about in your book?
2: yeah, and I think that uh, iron sharpens iron if that is the saying, so I think that be I think that everybody was elevating each other, and so I am in no way taking credit for any of this stuff i'm just i was just uh, documenting it in the moment and i think that i thought that i should shine a light on it it's a moment in history that I, I feel like it could go down as the greatest comedy scene of all time for a lot of reasons but especially because of the impossibility of it happening and so i just wanted to document it and um
1: you know and highlight these these uh these great comedians awesome well we appreciate you coming on and doing some some press with us and hopefully we can get these hawkeye fans to listen to our podcast out to buy your book uh because hawkeyes always support hawkeyes as much as we can so thanks so much for joining us mike well i appreciate it joel and and, uh and i'm glad you're doing the show yeah appreciate it all right we'll be back with gambling picks tori will be back and we'll figure this all out
0: well, that, that segment was a lot of fun. Really appreciate that, Joel. And, hey, brought the mood up a little bit. So kudos uh, to you and Mike. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, his, so.
1: his story is really cool. I hope people check his book out. Um, it's, you know, I'm lucky that a kid I grew up with, you know, happened to be there. You know, with all that scene going off in Chicago and i i did try to be a stand-up comic at one point in my life and it is a horrible horrible existence getting started and those guys who all stuck through it you know and you know he, coming up with tj miller and Camille and pete holmes and those guys it's just it's fascinating and the book is is good i got my copy after uh or i i, I hopefully gonna get my copy here soon but my buddy took some screenshots and i read the screenshots and uh it's really good
0: Yeah, no, I really enjoyed that. So uh, now we're moving into our segment where we do some uh, picks that may or may not be for the whole gamblers out there. Um, You know, normally we would go back through how we did last week and mock each other. But somebody forgot to do a spreadsheet. My bad. I was depressed. Leave me alone. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's okay. Like I, I was saying, I hit my big parlay, which was taking candy from a baby and I feel bad about it, but it was uh Liberty who just never seems to lose it unless they're playing like some big P five team, uh, Penn state. Cause I saw that wreck coming and the Kansas city chiefs over my hapless Chicago bears. So if you're, yeah, you're uh, a bears and an Iowa fan, so it was a great weekend. Here's where I have beef.
1: You Bet against the two teams you root for, so you put money over your fandom. And I don't no, know if I, Joel. I
0: if they if I, I it's called paying for happiness. Like if they win and I lose money, I'm happy. If they lose and I win money, I'm less unhappy. So that's hey, th- that's just logic.
1: And you say paying for happiness, and that's what a lot of the boards of directors for Liberty University do too. So you're good. I'm <laughs> so, sorry. No. Hey, no.
0: Serious gambling tip, always take liberty. Both sports, basketball and football, they're, they're like creepily... Efficient at
1: covering they're creepily efficient at a lot of things so i just watched a documentary about the fall wells so maybe that's where my that's where my world is coming from right now let's get to the fun stuff let's make some picks it's week five in the big 10 and it kicks off with some purdue and illinois who you got boilers versus Illini. Oh, what is the line on that one? Uh, I just went past it. Hold on. Because I'm kind of feeling like Illinois squeaks one out. I see Ill- uh, Purdue, two and a half point favorites okay. as of oh. 10 o'clock on Tuesday hey. night. Okay. Um,
0: yeah, no, I think uh, at home, uh, I'm going with Big Burt.
1: Big Bert. But, like, the cover, they might lose. I think I like Illinois also there. So I'm going to go, but I think I would go money line. I don't think I would take, I don't like to bet the spread. I like to go money line and do some parlays and round robins and whatnot. But to each their own, I guess. Next game is Iowa 12 and a half point favorite over the Spartans. Right, let's do that one last. Let's do that one last. Never mind. Where's This is me being a broadcaster. I screwed that up. I, I, I tried to I'm trying to do too much spreadsheets looking up lines we need a producer Tori we need a producer uh Minnesota and then we don't have money so yeah that's true <laughs> Minnesota coming off of the overtime loss to the Wildcats of Northwestern they host Louisiana Lafayette man PJ Fleck did not look too good in that one
0: to lose to a team that doesn't actually have a coach. Um, and they came back. Like they were down, what, 17 3 at halftime? Craziness. Uh, yeah, they must have taken their foot off the gas and took them for granted. So, uh, no, I think Minnesota will win and cover in that game, uh, maybe out of just sheer embarrassment from what they did against the Wildcats.
1: Yeah, I like many there also. They're 11 and a half point favorites. So we both take the goofers and that's, I, I just don't like, I, that's why I just stay away from those games because my emotions, I'm just too emotional. That's what I'm learning. I'm too much of an emotional basket case. Well,
0: you're still a young fella, Joel. Once you're, once you're a,
1: a hardened senior like me, you just spent more years in the newspaper business than I did. You got, <laughs> you got real cynical, real fast. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of cynicism, Nebraska, they play host. So the number two ranked Michigan Wolverines, Michigan, 17 and a half point favorites on the road, man. I, I see Harbaugh
0: just putting a beat down. I think uh, Harbaugh doesn't like a new kid in town trying to be a fancy coach. Um, He's worried about Penn State getting all kinds of praise. Ryan Day beating the Irish. I think this uh, this is a, a message game for, for uh, Harbaugh. And I think Michigan rolls
1: Nebraska. Yeah, they are. I think you're right there. I just don't see the firepower in anything Nebraska does against a team like Michigan. So we're both in line there. We're both going to take wolverines northwestern gets to do what iowa did last week or actually no they get to host penn state so the Kitties on their 17 inch grass and 30
0: host. penn state what, what'd you say i said if the line is anything less than 30 i'm taking penn
1: state uh anything less than 30 it is 27 and a half so that yeah, was close there you go yep i'm still on penn state i think 27 and a half point favorites over under 46 and a half so you're taking penn state i uh 40 to 10 see this one is where i think you throw a northwestern in you, you, you no. i think northwestern covers this it's because they're lulled to sleep at an 11 yeah. um, game on an empty stadium i can see that yeah yeah i don't know i just that number just seems high and i don't like it so uh i also probably would put that like in a teaser too maybe yeah that's tease that one up in your favor uh indiana travels to maryland maryland probably the best team outside of the big three in the big 10 after yeah. seeing them play Maryland would probably win the Big Ten West if I had to guess. They certainly would be the Um, favorites, and they're 14-and-a-half-point favorites over the Hoosiers.
0: A lot of points. Um, That's a weird place to play, too, though. Um, I I think I like Maryland to cover that. I do, too. Maryland to
1: cover... I think it's not even close. I think that they win that thing by three touchdowns based off what I've seen from Indiana. (laughs) And Rutgers... Rutgers 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 is Rutgers good that's the question they don't have to play a conference team this week so that's that is good I'm just trying to find that game because it's not I would readily I would available is bad
0: I think the jury is out on goodness but they're not bad last <laughs> year they were bad So to go from you know bad to not bad is maybe not good but it's not bad
1: I'm just gonna Google it well while I try to find this which I don't actually I've I'm, I'm done I'm giving up we all agree Rutgers is probably gonna win the game and it might even be a safe bet Iowa 12 and a half point favorite against Michigan State who you got?
0: Well, I mean, in a strange reversal this uh, week, I was far more generally optimistic than you were, Joel. You were you were really down. Um, I like I would a cover. I, I called it a slump buster. I mean I, I'm and I want to believe that Penn State is elite and Iowa ran into a buzzsaw and that Iowa is still a pretty good team. I never thought Iowa was a great team, so I didn't think they were going to win that game. But a pretty good team takes this Michigan State team out to the woodshed. So that's what I'm expecting.
1: I agree. And here's they don't play North Texas. Rutgers doesn't. They play the Wagner Seahawks. Um, and that's why there's no line because Vegas is saying this thing is a guaranteed win for Rutgers. So, okay. so we were both wrong on the opponent. That's why I lost it. Um, yes. So, I agree with you. Iowa needs this slumbuster. I don't know if you're calling Michigan State big and ugly. I'm not going to go down that road. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, unfortunate for the Spartans that their coach was exposed. Uh, for the true little character that he was. Uh, and Now they're without him. That was a good pun. The fact that that didn't get a laugh from you, I'm a little offended, Tori.
0: I think it went yeah. over my head, Joel. Yeah. That was... Well, oh, exposed. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, pretty proud of myself with that one. That was uh, good. But I, I think Iowa wins. I think they needed it. I think the nighttime energy is going to help. But come on, Iowa fans, don't be assholes in the stands. (laughs) If something goes sideways, keep it positive, all right? Don't be assholes because the players don't deserve it, okay? Coaches, yeah, I I get it. You're pissed. You you think nepotism is at hand. Any of you, though, who really think nepotism is holding – Iowa football back look at your own lives make sure no one in your life and your family has ever gotten you a job before you really cast the first stone here because I guarantee you you've been the beneficiary of nepotism at some point in your life Uh, but with that said let's just the the interesting
0: thing to me is that nepotism is always bad if you lose but when you're winning It's, it's a family atmosphere it's a beautiful family atmosphere it's the family business right so it, it, it's fully 100% dependent on wins and losses and which I, is why you shouldn't do it just to be clear but
1: yeah I, I don't know it's worked out far more than it's failed for most people when we look at the Stoops brothers uh, but it is definitely. what it is I mean for every for every, you know whatever I'm not going to bring Carl Polini into this either but was it said <laughs> Iowa wins this game by two touchdowns at least uh, and if they don't we might be here talking next week that maybe uh, your theory is right and maybe some midstream changes need to happen. But Iowa plays Michigan State, then they host Purdue, it's homecoming, and then they go to Badgerville, then the Gophers come to town, and then there's the bye week. I, so. I have
0: a full uh, field report from the home of the filthy rodents rodentia of the isthmus of madison the
1: isthmus of madison you have written that and said that many times in your life i have a feeling hey and here's the thing hawkeye fans if you're sad and you're depressed and you're looking for a bandwagon to hop on three of the top five teams in naia reside in our state go find one that you like and go root for one of them number one team is northwestern in orange city they can go to hell number three is the Morningside University Mustangs. That's who you should really hit your wagon to. But if not, the number two ranked team is Grandview in Des Moines. So there's lots of lots of great football being played in our state. So if Iowa makes you sick, go hop on and find an NAIA stream where one of the Iowa teams is probably going to win. So, you know, when you started that impassioned plea, I, th- I was like, wow, this is great
0: marketing because you're going to pivot this to – if you're feeling down, you're feeling depressed and looking for a bandwagon, hop on the 12 Saturdays bandwagon. There you subscribe you go. Plus on Spotify, iHeart, Apple, anywhere podcasts are found. So, and I, there's also a 12 Saturdays Facebook page. And, Give it a follow.
1: And you guys did great this past week. We tripled our subscriptions in the last week. So Dr. Ben had a big bounce for us. Let's keep it up and tell your friends, tell your family, Uh, I'm sorry for being so sad. I'm looking forward (laughs) to the weekend and, uh, things are going to be all right. And we're going to bring it back
0: to the old school and leave it with a, I say on Iowa and you say go Hawks.